Well, we're in week four of a series called Collision Course, and we've been looking at how do we deal with conflict? Uh, We are all in conflict. I wonder even as we started this just a few weeks ago, uh, how many have found themselves in new conflict? Not, Not the conflict you were already in, but new conflict has come up. Maybe a conflict has happened even this morning. Um, And and so we just know that conflict is inevitable um, because we're around people. And because we're around people, there is always going to be conflict. But I believe there's an opportunity to handle conflict differently. We've been looking at a a scripture, uh, Romans 12, 18. I've encouraged you to even memorize this because I think it's helpful as we we think about conflict in our, our life. It says this, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, Live at peace with everybody. Now, the guy who wrote this is a guy named Paul. And what I'm saying here is there are going to be times where it may not be possible. Peace just may not be possible. The, the other party is just not willing to, to do anything that they need to do to, to find that peace. And I think Paul is saying there's times that may not happen. But as much as it depends on you, everything that is in your power and in your control, do that. Do that to be at peace with the people around you. And, and, I, and I told you, uh, conflict is easy. It, it doesn't take much work to find yourself in conflict, but peace is hard. And you have to make some hard decisions. And, and over the last couple of weeks, I, I've told you a couple of things uh, that you got to take the first step. Even when you feel like maybe it's not your fault, it's the other person's fault, I, I've encouraged you, you've got to take the first step. And then that, those, those two words that are really difficult to say, but I think can change everything, the I'm sorry, right? And you begin to own your part for the, the problem and, and the, the conflict. You, you, you own it. Uh, you watch your words in the midst of, of conflict and then you work towards forgiveness. And we looked last week about what that looks like. And I would encourage you, if you weren't here, uh, we have an audio, we have a, a YouTube video. You can find those in the bulletin, how to, how to get to those. But I encourage you to go back and, and to listen to those. Um, but but here's, here's what I know. You could do all of that. You, you could follow every step that we've talked about and peace still may not come. Actually, you could do all of that and, and things might get worse. That's encouraging, right? <laughs> uh, things may become harder even if you follow every one of these steps. Uh, this week I was in our, our kitchen and, and things were good. My wife and I were hanging out and my, my kids were, were starting the process of going to bed. If you have small kids, you know what that looks like. And, and my son is in the bathroom brushing his teeth, uh, which is an experience all in of itself. And so he, he's in there and he's brushing his teeth and I think my daughter's in there too. And, and all of a sudden I hear water gushing. I hear something break and then I hear a very high-pitched scream. And I look down the hallway and my son has ran out of the bathroom. And so I run down the, our hallway and I turn the corner. And this is what I feel like I see uh, as, I, as I turn the, the corner. <laughs> I, I turned the corner and uh, my son had somehow ripped off the cold water faucet handle. All right. And I don't know if you know much about faucets, but there is a lot of pressure. <laughs> There's a lot of pressure in that little bitty hose. And it literally, water is hitting the ceiling and it shattered the light bulb above the, the sink. 
And, and so I, you know, in the midst of the chaos, I, instead of just reaching underneath the sink and turning off the water, I, I go sprinting downstairs and I shut off the, the main water and I come back up and our bathroom was now clean because water is on every inch of our, our bathroom. But, but this is what I thought, just the tension alone, the pressure that is in that line, one, one move, right? One wrong move, one accidental move really ended up in this explosion. And it was interesting because I kept trying to ask my son, how, how did this happen? <laughs> how did you, I just, I just turned the handle. I just turned the handle and it, it came off. And that night I, I lay in, in bed with my, my son every night before he goes to sleep. And I could tell something was different with him. And I, I asked him if he was okay. And I said, you okay, buddy? Are you, you're not worried about the bathroom, are you? And he just starts to cry. Right? He starts to cry. And I'm like, buddy, it's just water. It's just a bathroom. It's it's okay, but there were consequences, right? Like the, the last 24 hours, like trying to fix what had been broken, even though I had nothing to do with it, right? And, and, and I think sometimes when we look at conflict, there are these moments where we feel like I had nothing to do with that, but we're dealing with the conflict. We're dealing with the consequences. That there are even times where we have done everything right. My sister, and I asked my sister if I could share this, but my sister's been listening to my my messages. She's just kind of coming out of a, a rough divorce, and there's definitely been some conflict in, in her life over the last year and a half, really, really last several years. She's been listening, and she sent me a message and was encouraging me and telling me how great the messages were. And she said, I went to my, my ex-husband, and I, and I told him that I was sorry, and I owned my part. I was like, that is, that's great. I'm really happy. And she goes, and it ended up in a huge fight. I'm like, it happens. It happens. And I tried to encourage her and I said, there's going to be times where you do everything I've said, everything that we've read from the scriptures. You can do all you can to seek peace and peace still may not come. And here's the temptation. Here's the temptation is to believe that what Jesus says, what God says about conflict just doesn't work. Right? There's a temptation to believe, well, that didn't work. So I'm just going to take it back into my own hands. And what we do is we naturally go back. And what Paul says just before this, what he tells us not to do is to not repay evil for evil. We begin to want to do, right? No, no, I owned my part and, and now you're mad. Okay, well then, then I'm going to shoot words at you or my actions. I'm going to get revenge. I'm going to talk poorly about you, right? That, that's the natural thing that we want to do. And so in the midst of you seeking peace, when it doesn't happen, can I encourage you to fight against that temptation, Fight against taking it into your own hands. And, and honestly, as weird as this sounds, there's once again an opportunity to live out the teachings of, of Jesus. And so you might be thinking, yeah, this is a great series, but I tried to do what you, you told me to and it just didn't work. So today, uh, I want to give you some instruction on what to do when peace doesn't come. When peace really seems impossible, what, what do we do? Now, I know in a, in a room like this, there's some people who maybe would say, I don't, I'm not sure I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm not sure what I believe about God that, you know, and all of this. I'm, I'm coming because someone invited me. I, I'm here every week, but I just don't know. I, I would just encourage you to put into practice what you're learning. The teachings of Jesus are good. They're good. So would you just put into practice? And then for those of us who confess to follow Jesus, can I just tell you that our obedience to him is directly tied to our love for him? Did you know that? 
that your obedience to God is directly tied to your love for him. John 14, 15, Jesus says this, if you love me, you obey what I command. If you say that you love me, then you will do what I've told you to do. Like I think sometimes we get caught in this idea, well, I know a lot about God. I've, I know basically every scripture. I've heard almost every sermon that could be preached, but do we do what he says? I, I was thinking about my, my son and, and just how hard it is sometimes to get him to do what I need him to do. And I was thinking about just him getting dressed, right? Seven-year-old boy, uh, it's worse than him brushing his teeth. Um, and so there are these times we lay out his clothes and we're like, Kate, go get dressed. And 10 minutes goes by and I'll be in there and I'll, I'll go in and he'll have like a shirt on, but no button. It's not buttoned and like no pants. And I'm like, what, what, what are you doing? I told you to get dressed. Now, can you imagine, let's just connect this to kind of, kind of church thinking. Can you imagine if Kate said, well, I've just been thinking about getting dressed, right? I, I've just, I've been thinking about what does the word mean get dressed, right? What, what, what would it look like? You know, I, I text some of my friends and uh, we're going to get together and we're going to discuss what it would look like to get dressed. Uh, I have a friend who writes music. He's going to write a couple of songs about getting dressed. Uh, we're going to go to all the schools. We're going we're gonna to begin to teach our friends what it would look like to get dressed. And in my mind, I'm thinking, just get dressed, right? Just get dressed. And so for many of us as followers of Jesus, let's just do what he says. Like if we say that we love him, right? We, we say we love God and we love people and we serve our community. Part of loving God is putting into practice what we're hearing him say. Like we want to study it and we want to know it, but, but it shows that our obedience and our love are directly tied to one another. And the reason I'm telling you this is because the teaching we're going to hear today is hard. The teaching we're going to hear today is hard. And so our goal is obedience, not success. Right? And what I mean by that is if you say, look, I'm going to pursue peace with this person, you being obedient is m- even more important than what comes out of the relationship. Right? God, God wants healing and reconciliation, but God wants our obedience. So God wants us to do what he's told us to do. And then we hope, we hope that good comes. And so what we're going to look at today is extremely uh, countercultural, not natural, not easy, uh, but I think it's worth it. So the first thing, and this is where we're going to spend most of our time talking about, and then after this one, I'm going to give you a couple of uh, things to put into practice that fit with it. Um, and so what, what do we do with those people who just won't seek peace with us? What, what do we do when it seems in, impossible? Well, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to love them. We're going to love them. Um, and, and I'm serious. We're, we're going to uh, love people who maybe even hate us, are hateful towards us, uh, maybe even we would say are an enemy of us. And you might be thinking, okay, I've been good with everything, um, but, but I'm supposed to actually love people who want to do harm to me? Those who have something against me, those who have spoken poorly about, about me, they've gossiped about me, they've ruined my reputation. You, you honestly expect me to love them? Now, as I've thought about this, this message and I've, I've been studying and reading, um, there's sometimes these moments where I think, I'm not very good at this, God. Like there's some people in my life that have hurt me. There's some things that have happened where I think I've forgiven and I think I've moved on. But, but the natural response is to want to repay evil with evil. And my, my great wife will often remind me um, that that's not good. 
that that's not good. And so this, as I share, I'm, I'm figuring this out as well. And so I want you to hear a lot of what Jesus has to say about this. Uh, Luke 6, 27 through 28. If you don't own a Bible, there's a, a red Bible around you somewhere. Uh, that's our gift to you. Please, please take that. Uh, but Luke 6, 27, uh, 28, Jesus says this. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. This is from Jesus, not me. To love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. Now it's interesting, this word when he says those who hear me, this isn't an audible if you've just heard my voice. Unfortunately, my wife will often say to me, did you hear what I said? Um, and what she's asking is, are you going to do what I've asked you to do? Not, not just, did, did you just hear words come out of my mouth and into your ears, but do you understand what I am saying? For those who understand what Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying to love your enemies. Now, this word love is really good. This is one of those where we, we want to look at the, the meaning of this word. We don't do this a lot, but there's a couple of Greek words for love. Maybe you know this. Maybe this isn't going to be uh, new to you, but it might be to some of you. Uh, there's this word eros. Uh, this is the passionate love, the passionate love between a husband and a, and a wife, the eros. Then there's philia, which is this brotherly love. So Philadelphia, the, the city of brotherly love. Uh, this is a fondness for one another. You have storge, which is this family love. Uh, this is the kind of love that, that a parent would have for their children, for siblings, uh, for, for cousins, for extended family. There is a storge type of love. Now, the word that is used here are none of those. This is a word called agape or agape. Uh, this is not a love that is kindled by merit. Uh, this is not a, a love for someone who is loving. Uh, this is a a love that is used really outside anywhere but biblically. So as the, the writer used this word, this wasn't a common word that was used. This is a different way of loving. It only desires good for the one being loved. And see, this is the kind of love that God has for us. So if you've maybe, you haven't been around church, but you've heard the scripture, John three sixteen. For God so loved, this is the word that is used. That this isn't just a brotherly love that, that if you do right, then, then God will love you in return. That this is a love that God extends to us when we aren't even worthy of it. When we are broken and unlovable. This is the kind of love that God has for you and for me. And then the, the teaching of Jesus here is then you should have that same love not just for your neighbors, not just those who are lovable, but for everyone. And he says to do good, the, the things that are excellent, that are commendable, even to those who hate you, to bless, not curse. We'll look at that more in a moment and to pray for them, right? At the least, at the least that you would begin to pray for them, not prayers that they'll get what's coming to them, uh, not prayers of bad things, not really bad things, but just little bad things, right? The, these are prayers that things would go well for them. And I actually think this might be a, a sign of whether or not you've been able to forgive someone. Right, last week we talked about how there's two components of forgiveness and one of those components is, is in your heart being able to forgive someone. And if you are unable to pray for someone, 
If you're unable to pray that it would go well for someone, maybe you really haven't in your heart been able to let someone go, to set someone free, to forgive them. But, but if we are able to, this is a, a sign that we've been able to do this. And, and just let me tell you, this takes total dependence of, on God. This is not natural. So you're not just going to work hard at this and, and somehow be able to love your enemies. This is going to take total dependence on God and his grace that he has extended to you, the love that he has extended to you. This is the only way we'll be able to do this. And then when we're able to do this, when we're able to really love our enemies, when we're able to love those who maybe aren't always lovable, I actually think this is a way to show others what we believe. And Jesus goes on, Luke 6, 32 through 36, and says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. If you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. That is a powerful line. I wish I could spend more time uh, on that. This idea of a God who is kind, who is kind to those who are ungrateful. That God is kind to the wicked. And then this commandment that Jesus gives, well, be merciful. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. And so I, I was thinking about this and kind of a little bit of a side note, maybe, maybe not enemies, but, but I wonder, those outside of the church, those who would not confess to follow Jesus, th- those who this morning probably aren't gathered in a space like this, would they say that followers of Jesus put this into practice? What would they say that those Christians they know are the most loving people they've ever been around and it doesn't matter who it is or my fear is most people would think we kind of have a circle. And it depends who's in our circle whether or not we love them. Uh, this could be based on all kinds of things, uh, whether it's politics or sexuality or what they say they do or don't believe, right? We, we have this circle and we think as long as they fit in this circle, as long as they fit in this circle, then I'll love them. But the radical teaching of Jesus says that you love all people, that you love your neighbor as you love yourself, and everyone is your neighbor. Now, you you might be be thinking, all right, um, really, who does that look like? Really, who is my neighbor? And you're in good company because someone came to Jesus and said, hey, can I ask a question? Uh, Luke 10, 25, 29 says this, teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I want to go to heaven. How do I do that? And Jesus says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. And I get this image, and and I think I've, I've shared this before. I get this image that Jesus thinks they're done with the conversation. I mean, it's pretty clear he answered what he was looking for. But then the guy asks another question, verse 29. He says, but he wanted to justify himself or make sure he appeared righteous. So he said, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? Jesus, could you, could you tell me who fits in the circle? 
Could you tell me who it is that I'm exactly supposed to love? And this is where we get the story of the Good Samaritan, where Jesus answers with a, a parable and he says that there was a guy who was stripped naked and he's robbed and he's basically left on the side of the road to die. And a priest comes by and the priest sees him and he actually goes on the other side of the road and he doesn't help him. And, and many scholars think the way Jesus tells this is the reason he wouldn't have helped him is because it would have cost him something. He was ceremonial clean. He had just spent time in the temple. If he was going to help him, he'd have to go back and there would be some, some things that he had to do. And so he crosses on the other side. And then there's a Levite who also would be a religious leader, a religious person. He also crosses on the other side of the road. But, th- but then the hero of the story is a Samaritan. And a Samaritan would have been a half Jew, not a full Jew. And those who were listening would have been Jewish. And so they're immediately thinking, oh, I, don't, I already don't like where this is going. I, I, don't, I don't really care for the Samaritan. And then Jesus says it's the Samaritan who takes care of the man who is stripped naked and left to die. That he goes above and beyond, is willing to pay for anything. And then the question at the, the end of this is, is who do you think is the neighbor? Who has who loved as the, the neighbor? And the answer is the one who has shown mercy. And so the, the answer then for the, the guy is who is my neighbor? Well, the circle, what Jesus does is he blows open the circle. He says that we can't put walls and boundaries about who we are or who we aren't supposed to love. That Jesus, I believe, actually is saying the way we love people, the way we display the agape love, quite possibly could be what causes someone to begin to want to follow Jesus. That they're going to begin to wonder, wait, wait, wait. It's not normal for you to love someone who is not loving you in return. It is not good. It is not normal for someone to do good to someone who is hating them or praying for someone, you're gonna pray for something good in their life, that's not natural. You're right. But we believe this is the kind of love that God has extended to us. And so this is a radical teaching. So for you in these situations, who, who is it? Who is it that you've tried to seek peace with and it just doesn't seem to come? Coworker, a parent, a sibling, a spouse? ex-husband or ex-wife, what does that look like? You've tried to seek peace and it hasn't gone well. What would it look like for you to tangibly still love them? To do good to them. To bless them, not curse them, to, to pray for them. What would that look like for you to tangibly do that for someone? To do the impossible. Well, real quickly, I want to give you a couple things that, that I think we have to pay attention to as we, as we do this. Um, as we do this, you have to begin to guard your heart and your tongue, right? As you begin to love your enemies, as you begin to love those who don't want to seek peace with you, you have to guard your heart and your tongue. As I said before, the natural response is to get back at people. My, my sister, as I, I talk to her, I can only imagine the natural response when her ex-husband responds the way he does, right? The temptation, the temptation to use words to, to hurt, to bring down to to tear apart is natural but what you have to do is you have to begin to guard your heart Uh, jesus in luke 6 says the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart for out of the overflow of his heart his mouth speaks so our words come from somewhere and so as you begin to guard your heart as you begin to deal with forgiving those who have 
hurt you, we're able to guard our words as we guard our heart. And what happens here is when we're able to guard our heart and our words, it leaves open the door to continue to seek peace. When you begin to use your words to tear down, it shuts doors. When you don't guard your heart and you, you allow your heart to go to a place where you slander someone or you're in your heart, you, you don't want to do good to them, then your words will come out. And in doing both of those, it shuts the door on seeking peace. The next thing I would encourage you to do is you try and seek peace and you try and love people well who don't respond in the right way is to begin to seek godly advice. To seek godly advice. To surround yourself with people who will lead you in this direction, who will remind you, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, of the teachings of Jesus that would encourage you, not, not tear you down, but, but continually encourage you. Proverbs 13, 20, the, the wise teachings of a guy named Solomon. He says, who, he who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. I mentor three little boys at Coldwater Elementary, a third grader, a fourth grader, and a fifth grader. We talk about this often. We talk about this because every one of them have a hard time not responding in their words or with their hands, right? That the natural response for these young boys is to get people back. Well, the response from all of these, what they tell me is, well, my, my family, my friends, they tell me I've got to get them back. That I've got to stand up for myself. That I can't be a punk. I can't let someone get me. And so they're not surrounding themselves necessarily with people who are encouraging them to do what is wise. And so for many of us, as we seek help, be careful who you're asking for help. Be, be careful who you're saying, this is the situation, what should I do? Because the natural response is to repay evil with evil. But the, the godly response, the response that Jesus wants us to have is much different. And then the fourth one, and this one is, is difficult, um, but, but I'm going to ask you to deliberately give a focused love to these people. Romans 12, 18, we've looked at it. If it's possible, as much as it depends on you, uh, be at, at peace with, with everybody. He goes on, verse 20, and says this. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Man, so now the teaching isn't just that I have to like internally say that I love my enemies, but I actually have to do something. Man, like if I know they have a need or if I can see there's an issue in their life and I have the opportunity to do good, Paul is saying, do it. And when you do it, what will happen is you will heap burning coals on his head. I don't know if you've heard this scripture before or this teaching. It almost sounds like you're going to punish them, right? I mean, can you imagine uh, burning coals on your, on your head? doesn't seem like a, a good thing. But, but what, what the, the, the author here is trying to say, and this goes back into the Old Testament, is this idea of a stirring within a person's heart, right? That, that you would do something that was so powerful that they would begin to have to self-reflect. They would have to begin to question their actions towards you. That, that it, it could cause them to be remorseful. It could cause them to question their actions towards you. And in doing this, we would be overcoming evil with good. That, that you can't tell me that those people in our lives who maybe have had it out for us, who have not been good to us, 
if we begin to do good to them and they begin to wonder and question, what are they up to? Why are they continuing to care for me and love me when I've been so evil towards them? It's this heaping of burning coals. They begin to wonder and question their own actions and just maybe, just maybe, there still is a chance for peace and reconciliation. Maybe, even when it seems impossible, that if we're able to love, if we're able to do good to those who would want nothing more than to harm us or to hurt us. Now, in saying this, and I, I want to I make sure you're really clear, because I, I think there's been some bad teaching when it comes to abuse and some different things. If there is abuse, mental, physical, emotional, any kind of abuse, get out. Seek help. Tell someone. I am not telling you to continue to do good to that person. Maybe the best thing you could do is to get out. Right? So I want to make sure that's really clear as we talk about this. There's a fine line there. And, and I know I have heard some people who have talked in a place like this about that you just need to, to figure it out and work through it. And you are afraid to tell someone. That's not what I'm saying at all. That maybe the most loving thing you could do is to separate and to get help. That that would be the way to love those who have hurt you. So... Have you accepted this agape love that God has extended to you? That this, uh, this love that maybe you feel unworthy of? And if you have, and you say that you love God in return, the way we know that for sure is by our obedience. So would you this week begin to figure out what it would look like to love those who maybe seem unlovable? What would it look like for you to do good to those who hate you, to, to bless not curse, and to pray for them. Well, we're going to end like we do with a, a song, and, and this song has uh, some really important words to it. I hope as this has become familiar to you that it's not just something that's familiar to you, uh, but as you sing it, as Greg comes up, as you, as you sing this, that you would actually be saying, God, this is what I want to do in my life. I, I want to I be able to live out this radical teaching, this radical kind of love, and we cannot do it on our own. So I pray that God would help us do that. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray in these moments, just as we think about those who have hurt us and our natural response, Lord, is not really what you've told us to do. Uh, would you begin to just pour your grace and your mercy and your love out on us once again? And would our response be to love others well? God, I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful for my sister. I'm hopeful for my friends in this space. I'm hopeful for myself that in these areas where it seems like peace is impossible, that by doing good, we would overcome evil by loving one another well. Pray this in Jesus' name.